Hello America, it's time for Uncle Sam Says, and today we've got the true story of my dog Joe. Americans are waking up, and they need to be taught. We are the teacher. American Truth Restored has developed a plan to restore America. The plan is very simple and it will absolutely work. We simply have to teach Americans the truth that has been lost, changed, or stolen from us. And when enough Americans know the truth, they will demand that their representatives restore the principles embodied in our Constitution. The plan to restore America involves teaching, and we believe the best way to teach is through stories. We teach true stories of real American heroes. You can come to love, honor, and respect our founding fathers as you learn more about them. We also teach the 28 principles of freedom that our Constitution protects. Our greatest fear is because most Americans do not know what they do not know. If they do not know the danger, why should they prepare against it? Because of this, I will start with a little different kind of story. It's also a true story, but is not about our Founding Fathers. First I'll tell you the story, then I'll tell you why I told you the story. You'll want to get your children and your grandchildren to hear this story, too. You're going to love this story. It's about my dog, Joe. It's a true story. When I was about 12 years old, I received a great gift of my life, and that was my dog, Joe. I got Joe as a wiggly pup, and I'm now convinced that every kid ought to have a dog. They are indeed man's, <laughs> or a kid's, best friend. I spend even more time with Joe than I did with my horse, Rusty. You see, I never went with Rusty anywhere unless Joe went, too. We were really inseparable. Between Rusty and Joe, I had a great childhood, and I learned a lot about life. He was just a couple weeks old when we got him, and my mother taught me an all-important lesson. Joe was tied to the clothesline, and the only time he got away from that line or got fed or anything else, it was when I did it. Mom said that would bond him to me. Wow, was she right. That pup got so excited when he saw me coming that he just wiggled everywhere. <laughs> I was the main thing that happened to him all day, all week, all month. I was his main focus, and he was my best friend. Then, under my mom's direction, I began to train him. I didn't have any brothers or sisters at home then. They'd all grown up and gone away, so I had a lot of time to spend with Joe. By the time he was grown up, <laughs> he could do about anything a circus dog could do. But more than that, he worked for his living. He was a big dog. He was a cross between an Australian Shepherd and a Black Labrador and, oh, maybe 60, 70 pounds. I taught him to pull wagons, and, and he would catch any of our chickens that got out. Oh, that, that, that was fun to watch. He was fast. Those chickens would screech and cackle and fly and run. <laughs> but he'd get them. He'd get them every time. He'd land right on top of them and put a paw on each wing and put his mouth right over their head. He'd just hold him that way till we got there. <laughs> that poor chicken figured she'd laid her last egg. <laughs> but, but we never found a mark on those chickens, except they, they did have a very wet head. Well, after that went on for a while, the chickens, <laughs> they stopped getting out. And if one accidentally did get out, we'd find it frantically pacing back and forth, trying to find a way to get back in again. <laughs> Well, I also had a five-mile paper route that Joe helped me deliver every day. He'd pull my bike and also deliver a lot of the papers. 
I'd pull his slip rope off the handlebar and fold up a paper and he'd grab it. I'd point and yell, take it to the step. And he'd run up to the step and wait until I yelled, drop it. <laughs> if he went to the wrong step, then I would point one way or the other and, and he'd go there until he got it right. Then he would drop it and, uh, when I said to, and come after the next paper. It wasn't long before he knew the route as well as I did. He made quite a sensation, and many paper customers loved him. Oh, they loved Joe. Many refused to pay me, but would give Joe the money for the papers, and, and then he'd bring it to me, uh, I think. Uh, you, you know, I, I've wondered about that. <laughs> but, the, but the thing that Joe was best at was chasing or fetching sticks or balls or, or anything else you might care to throw for him. And if you did not have a stick, he was only too happy to get one for you. Now, Joe did not just love to chase a stick. To him, it was an art form. It was a passion. It was life itself to get that stick. The second it left your hand, he was off like a shot. And his whole full life was to get that stick. His full attention was right on that stick, and, and that stick was all that mattered. He would go from zero to sixty in less than five feet. He'd go right over six-foot fences. He'd hit those fences at about four or five feet from the ground and, and go right on over. He'd hit our overgrown blackberry patch at an average altitude of about four feet. And when you threw it into the river, his splashdown was at least fifteen feet from the bank. If you threw it on our roof, he'd run around the house and climb up the ladder. He always found his stick. Well, one day, my friend Charles and I were walking along the river in the middle of the winter. And, of course, Joe was with us. And, of course, Joe was playing fetch with Charles. Without giving it a second thought, Charles let fly out over the ice of our side of the river and the stick landed in the fast-moving water out in the middle. By the time Joe left the bank, he was going airborne. When he landed on the ice, he was still going full speed. Then I saw him do something I had never seen him do. He stopped chasing the stick. He tried so hard to stop that he was doing backflips on that ice. It was way too slick. He slid about 50 feet and went right on into the water. The minute he was in the water, I knew he was in big trouble. He forgot all about that stick. He was a great swimmer, and he didn't mind getting in and out of cold water, but this was way different. Not only was this water literally colder than ice, but he couldn't get out. He'd put his front paws on the slushy ice at the edge, and his hind legs would just go under the ice. And he would break off the ice under his front paws, and, and he'd go under. He'd do it again, and again, and again. I knew that if something wasn't done right quick, I was going to lose Joe. I yelled at him to go get the stick. Why, he didn't pay any attention to me at all. I yelled again, Joe, go get the stick. He paused for just a second, then tried again to get up on the ice and got dunked again for his trouble. A third time I yelled, Joe, you go get that stick. This time he just kind of stopped and looked at me like like he couldn't believe his ears. He made a move to go after it, but then just had to try and get out of that water again. Joe, you cockeyed mutt, you mangy cur, you go get that stick right now. Boss, what do you mean go get that stick? You've got to be out of your mind. 
What do you want that st st stupid stick for anyway? Uh, forget the stick. I I I'm going to drown out here. Can can't you see I'm freezing to death, too? Come on, boss. I, I, I can't get that st stupid stick. Joe, you go get that stick or I'm coming in there after you. I'll get you, you crazy pot licker. Now go get that stick. Boss, I'm... I'm dying. I'm drowning. You want that stupid stick? You go get that stupid stick. <laughs> all right, all right. If that's the way you want it, I'll get your stupid stick. I thought you loved me, but all you love are stupid sticks. Stupid sticks. <laughs> I'll get your stick, and then what? You'll have a cold dog on a stupid stick in the middle of a stupid river, and I'll be a stupid dead dog. But I'll get your stupid stick. Hey, thanks for listening, folks. I hate to leave Joe in such a predicament, but tune in tomorrow and we'll, we'll show you what happens to Joe. Till then, keep your powder dry!